This is an ABC podcast. In Canberra last Friday, the new Federal Education Minister, Jason Clare, convened a roundtable on teacher shortages in Australia, gathering together all the state and territory education ministers and some of the teachers and principals who are at the front line of the uh, education situation at the moment. Here's the minister speaking after his roundtable. We've agreed that we want a national action plan prepared by the secretaries of our department and to put that action plan together for us to tick off when we meet again in December. So there's a national action plan on the way after the Minister's Roundtable. Today we thought we'd have a roundtable on the roundtable on teacher shortages. What is the state of the teaching profession in Australia in 2022 and what can and should be done about it? Joining us today we have Mark Grant, who's the Chief Executive of the Australian Institute for Teaching and School Leadership. Welcome, Mark. Yeah, good morning. Great to have you. Mark's uh, been a teacher and principal himself and also uh, previously the Executive Director for Leadership and High Performance in New South Wales Education Department. We're also joined from the Grattan Institute by Jordana Hunter. Welcome, Jordana. Hello, great to be chatting this morning. Great to have you too. Uh, Jordana's the Education Program Director at the Grattan Institute. And uh, we also welcome uh, Parsi Stahlberg, who's Professor of Education at Southern Cross University. Uh, Parsi's worked as a, a school teacher, but also been the, former, been the Director General of the Ministry of Education in Finland, which is famously one of the highest performing OECD countries. He's published widely on education, including the 2021 title, In Teachers We Trust, the Finnish way to world-class schooling. Uh, welcome, Pazi. Thank you, Julian. And thank you in particular for joining us. Uh, Pazi's uh, now based in Lismore, New South Wales, but he's coming to us uh, today from uh, Croatia and in the middle of the night. So thanks especially for that uh, uh, commitment, Pazi. Um, Mark, uh, Mark Grant, if I could start with you. The government put out an issues paper uh, before the roundtable. It says that Australian schools are facing an unprecedented teacher supply and retention challenge and that this is the biggest single issue facing teacher employers. Could you give us an outline of the situation and tell us if you agree with that description? It's, uh, it's very hard not to agree um, with that position. Um, there's so many uh, reports coming in from states and territories and the three education sectors in each state and territory for that not to be the case. And in fact, the roundtable that you referred to on Friday morning had teachers and principals reflecting those states and territories give their own impression of what the struggles have been like, particularly in the last couple of years, although an acknowledgement that teacher shortages, workload increases and administrative intrusions were building well and truly before uh, before then. The, the issues paper does capture, I think, um, most of what um, was uh, uh, discussed in the room. And in fact, it was a guide for some of the discussion in the latter part of that roundtable session. Um, but yeah, there's no doubt teachers are reporting uh, excessive uh, intrusion into the actual business of teaching and learning and uh, those working conditions and external factors need to be really well understood at each school by the, uh, by the system. It's not just an Australian problem though, is it, Mark? No, it isn't. In fact, um, the United Nations has got a report of needing 69 million teachers by 2030 um, to meet the universal education goals. Um, I noticed this week Florida started with 8,000 teachers short 
we, we have a worldwide problem of educating an increasing student population against the backdrop of it being undesirable. And particularly to Australia, we see fewer students beginning university, 45% finishing those courses, believe it or not, in initial teacher education. Mm. And then we don't look after them well enough to keep them in the profession. Thanks, Mark. Jordana Hunter, I'll come to you. Uh, the Grattan Institute's uh, report from January this year is called Making Time for Great Teaching. And 92% of the 5,500 teachers and school leaders surveyed for the report said that workload, which is something that Mark's already highlighted, was too great uh, for effective teaching. Could you uh, elaborate on what you heard from teachers in compiling that report? Yeah, thanks, Julian. Look, I think one of the great things about that report was that it gave us the opportunity to hear directly from teachers in schools. So we surveyed 5,000 teachers right across the country and across the different education sectors. And the message was really, really uniform across all those different sectors and, and jurisdictions. We heard that nine in 10 felt they did not have enough time to be effectively prepared when they stepped into the classroom each day. And that is really troubling because we know that how well teachers are prepared uh, to deliver effective teaching in the classroom is really the key thing that makes a difference for students. So if they don't have time to do that preparation work, think about developing their practice and working with their colleagues. We do, uh, I think, have good reason to think that student learning is going to suffer. Well, we can add uh, another one to those uh, five and a half thousand that you surveyed. We've had a text message in from uh, Lise, who's a teacher of 30 years, and uh, texts about uh, constantly being asked to document evidence of students' progress. Too much micromanaging, Lise says, too little trust and respect. Uh, Parsi Stahlberg, if I could come to you now, what do you uh, think are the, the sort of root causes of this teacher shortage that Australia is facing at the moment? Yeah, I think uh, I, I think there are two aspects here. One one is, of course, that the, the that there are too um, few people, young people, interested in uh, choosing teaching as a career. But equally important is the, the retention that we have uh, an increasing number of teachers who don't find teaching anymore kind of an interesting and, and doable thing. So we have we are lo- losing a lot of a uh, lot of very experienced uh, teachers in the schools. And two things that have come uh, again and again in these conversations is of course the workload that was mentioned before that teachers are teachers working hours are too long and there's too too much administration and bureaucracy in the school and then of course the the compensation that the teachers salaries um, are lacking behind those that the um, the young people could get with a similar decrease in the, in the labour market. So, so I think that's why I'm, I'm saying that unless we properly address the root causes of, of this issue, which are the work workload and compensation, I think it's very difficult to find a sustainable solution to this. Mm, um, th- that those sentiments again being reflected on the text line. We've had a text in from a teacher who uh, quit despite having an, an education degree and working for a couple of years and moved into the private sector and doubled their salary. Uh, but that uh, teacher also talked about the need for better trained and accountable principals uh, in their experience. Um, uh, Pazi, your uh, response to the, uh, the, the, ra- the National Roundtable that was held also highlighted... Um, unproductive working conditions. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, if the, if the teachers are spending, as they say in, in different surveys, uh, more and more time with the, you know, ticking the boxes and, and fulfilling the compliance right. requirements and, and admin, I, I think that time is 
is away from this what, what should be a productive work in a school working working with the colleagues uh, other teachers and and certainly uh, you know teaching children in in the classroom mm. but i say you know if we have tired teachers coming to school tired um it's it's a very hard to expect that they're going to do a, a, a good job so so the schools in general i think australia for example if i compare the australian schools to schools here back home in finland for example mm. the, the the big difference is uh, is this uh, comp- compliance a kind of a culture of compliance that the teachers don't think in australia as much as they do in finland how, you know what, what are the good ways and effective ways to teach but they often think about you know what do i need to do to comply with all these regulations and and that's that's what is bringing the this productive uh, pro- pro- productivity of the uh, teaching and teachers work down and, and that's why we should probably consider loosening the grip a little bit and and not not only try to reduce the the time that teachers spend on on bureaucracy, but also think about you know trusting teachers more, just like the uh, somebody who was messaging to you about this thing and allowing them to teach and use their creativity to do the right thing. On the roundtable today, we're discussing the roundtable on uh, last Friday uh, held by the education minister and all the, the the federal education ministers on the national teacher shortage. And I'd really just like to get um, each of your reactions to what came out of that round table or the intention to publish by the end of the year a, a workforce action plan that's about elevating the teaching profession, improving teacher supply, strengthening uh, teaching degrees and maximising teachers' time to teach as well as I think the fifth point they identified was a better understanding of future workforce needs. Uh, Mark Grant, What's your assessment of um, the the outcome from Friday's roundtable? There's no doubt um, any solutions are going to be a medium to long-term uh, uh, burn. There'll be no quick fixes. And in fact, I think there was a an acknowledgement that teacher shortage is probably going to get a little worse before it's going to get better uh, because of the reduced number of students coming out of initial teacher education. But those three big buckets that ministers... Um, identified that they expect to see in that uh, action plan about attracting teachers in, the training they get, and then keeping those in the workforce already, I think are sensible, are three big sensible buckets to organise the work. Um, the ministers do have some work underway in each of their states and territories that they could share and scale up that might be useful on a national basis. But one of the key things that came out of Friday, I think, was the voice of the profession in the room. Um, those teachers and principals really brought a reality to some of the things Parsi's just mentioned about the intrusions into teaching and learning that suck the passion uh, and to some extent the energy out of their daily delivery to students. Uh, there was some talk about uh, using migration as a, as a short-term fix. Mark, do you see that as a, a viable or important part of a potential solution either in the short or longer term? Look, it is underway now. Just for instance, um, my company um, does the national skills assessment for eight teachers, uh, sorry, for eight uh, types of visas that teachers can use to come to Australia. So it's been a lever that the education employers have been using for years. And in fact, they're using it more now in the last 12 months than they've ever used. So it'll be part of a solution. But truthfully, uh, on the scale of what's required, um, not enough in itself. And I think there'll need to be the alignment of several solutions brought to bear by the decisions of ministers in that work plan in December to make a difference. But a lot of time was spent on um, trying to maximise mid-career changes and making that attractive. And I think salaries goes to this issue 
both for our teachers who are at the top of the scale now and those who might want to come in from other industries. And, uh, you know, there's other systems uh, that pay 40% plus as a premium for the very best teachers. Um, uh, England's just announced it, for instance, uh, 43% for those out, uh, outside London, 38% for those inside. So we really need to look at paying a premium for our best teachers to keep them teaching, and that's on top of a pay rise for all teachers. Mm. We'll come back to the issue of pay, and uh, thanks to everyone who's been texting in. There's some uh, really eloquent and compelling text messages from people who are still in and some people <coughs> who've left the teaching profession. Uh, Gold Star goes to uh, one texter, though, who kept it nice and brief, just says, more carrots, less sticks. Uh, Parsi, can I come back to you? Uh, could you just uh, sort of outline for us what the differences are in the status of the teaching profession in Australia compared to, to Finland? And it'd be great to hear about some of your, your personal experiences as a teacher in that regard yeah you know what well, one big difference is the uh, somebody somebody mentioned the trust before that in the uh, Finnish system and, and many others who look at Singapore Canada or uh, some of the other European systems that the teachers are trusted and, and treated as professionals much more than they are in um, in Australia I haven't never been a teacher in Australia but this is what I hear often from from um, teachers saying that the, the the trust is something that is um, uh, is missing I, I, I think the the other thing um, that is a, is a different is the, the nature if we just look at what the teachers are doing that's uh, teachers in m- most other countries in the OECD, for example, spend m- uh, much less, often much less time to um, to teach and more time to collaborate and plan and you know create new solutions to the um, uh, to the classroom. But if I if I may say one one thing that I, I think Mark was uh, mentioning uh, earlier, Julian, is that that we also need to remember that we have before we step into this migration issue, trying to to uh, import people from uh, from other countries is that we actually in Australia we have ten, tens of thousands of trained teachers who have left school and they often leave the school leave the teaching uh, because of these working conditions and pay so the, the smartest thing and fastest thing to to address this challenge is to, to, to think about how, how we can get some of those teachers who have left school teaching for any reason uh, return back to mm. school and, and and teach and and this is some this is something that for example has not been included in this uh, initial action plan of the ministers and and uh, that's something that should be considered thanks Parsi. yeah certainly one of our text uh, texters who's a retired teacher says that they're interested in doing a bit of teaching but not really interested in the, a sort of uh, uncertain casual arrangement they'd like they'd like something more part-time now i was going to come to uh, back to jordana hunter but i think we've had a, a bit of a problem with the the line there so we might um we'll try and get jordana hunter from the grattan institute back shortly but um mark uh, pay obviously is a a key issue um, could you give us a sense of uh, how Australian teachers do fare in, in terms of, of pay and um, perhaps on the way to telling us if you think that financial incentives for teachers via more performance-based pay will really improve things, not just for teachers but for students? Yeah, look, certainly. I think there's a general view that the starting salaries for teachers in Australia is quite reasonable. Um, I don't think anyone really has a problem with the um, with that. But what is um, universally, I think, accepted in Australia is after about the 10th or 11th year, the salary for a teacher maxes out at that point. And there's no, um, there's no prospect of progression uh, unless, A, they change jobs altogether, B, they take a promotion position within a school, like a head teacher or an assistant principal or on a pathway to, to principalship, or, as is the case uh, nationally with the highly accomplished and lead teacher, category, 
which is the certification level that's um, around Australia and has been for about the last seven or eight years, that brings a premium, but only up to about $10,000. And it's way below the premium for the best teachers that are overseas. So that salary difference often causes people to leave teaching because they just don't see a prospect in that salary, buying them the lifestyle that they want. Uh, but equally, it's a disincentive for mid-career changers who often have told me that it's a pay cut for them to consider retraining as a teacher. Mm. So there's, there's a nexus there about paying for the best. That, that's really interesting. And a couple of texters have said as well that they find that some of the uh, the sort of the entry level restrictions on new teachers are a bit of a disincentive as well. It's great to, I think we've got uh, Jordana Hunter from the Grattan Institute Education Program Director back. Uh, Jordana, feel free to comment on any, any of the other things that you've heard in our roundtable discussion so far. But I was also interested by your report and the way that you sort of engage with the nuance of what this this heading of maximising teachers' time to teach actually means. Perhaps you could expand a little bit on that for us as well. Yeah, thank you. Look, we uh, obviously we know that teachers do need more time to prepare for the classroom, but one of the things we need to think about is how we can find time for teachers that doesn't involve releasing them from face-to-face teaching in the classroom because it, really that's the core of their job and that's what we want them to have as much time to do as possible. So some of the things we were thinking about were there opportunities to allow teachers to really focus on that teaching work rather than stretching them so thin across so many different activities, uh, which often we do. So we do know that in schools, teachers are spending a lot of time supervising extracurricular activities. There's a lot of yard duty and and bus duty and things of that nature. And we asked teachers in our survey how they'd feel about having non-teaching staff in their schools take on some of those additional responsibilities. And we know that there are schools where that works really well. Uh, And we heard a very strong positive from the profession. So 70% almost of teachers were open to that possibility. And that could save around two hours a week uh, in their their working week, which is really quite a significant amount of time. Uh, The other thing we looked at were issues around how teachers were preparing for classroom work. So we know administration is a big worry for a lot of teachers, but equally, teachers only spend around 8% of their time each week on administration, whereas they are spending around 33% of their time on those crucial preparation activities. So if we can help them, you know, work a bit more effectively and a bit smarter in some of those preparation activities, we could really reduce some of that workload pressure. Curriculum planning was an area that really stood out. So 53% of teachers felt they were wasting a lot of time reinventing the wheel in curriculum planning. And that was a real drag on how uh, well prepared they felt. So I think that's another area that we should be thinking about addressing for teachers. Uh, Parsi Stahlberg, around the world, who's doing the best in terms of addressing those issues that Jordana just uh, described, particularly, you know, curriculum planning and not being, sort of, I suppose, distracted by non-classroom-based tasks? Yeah, it's difficult to say who is, who is doing the best, but the, the trend internationally has uh, definitely been towards teaching less and, and doing more collaboration. For example, the Asian, <coughs> Asian system, Singapore, and some of the other systems in Asia that have traditionally been very kind of a teaching, teaching heavy, have radically shifted towards uh, less teaching time and more, more collaboration and, you know, creating new ideas. Uh, the Nordic countries, the Finland, my, my own place that I know the best is, is a good example of where teachers' uh, teaching time and working time is it's much lower than it is in Australia, for example, where teachers have 
have time to, um, you know, during the school day to, to think about and, and, and plan and get ready for, for teaching. For me, if I look at Australia as a whole, it, it's, uh, the, the education space seems to be a little strange because uh, our children in Australia have uh, had the highest highest compulsory instruction hours during the the, the primary and, and uh, lower secondary school of any other country in the world. So the kids are spending a lot of time in a school. And our teachers also have a relatively higher uh, working working um, hours and, and teaching hours as, as well compared to many other countries. So it seems to me that we are in Australia, we are trying to do too much. Uh, overall, the kids, we are expecting kids and, and teachers to spend too much time on things. And still, the if we look at the outcomes, that they are, they are not really where they should be given all this time. So, so perhaps we could, you know, sit down a, a little bit and, and see whether less could be more in, in this case as well. This is definitely what the, the many of the other countries are, are now considering. Uh, Mark Grant, feel, feel free to tell us uh, perhaps some of the examples, whether it's from within Australia or around the world that you think might might show the way forward in in this area and I'd also be interested to get your 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 comments on whether or not the teacher shortage issue is perhaps better looked at by looking at particular cohorts of teachers rather than the sort of the industry-wide challenge. Yeah, I might go to that second part first. Uh, I think you're absolutely right there. It's it's lumpy across 346,000 teachers. And what we do know is that um, whilst we have less than half the students who undertake initial teacher education finish, of that group that does finish, we know we lose about 30% in the first three to four years. And in fact, the average exit is at about 11.4 years. So we know where the pain points are early years and when they max out at their salaries. Um, those two areas are definite points to address in any type of action plan, in my in my thought. And equally, I think it's very important to realise that career path planning traditionally has been stay in the classroom or look for a promotion position. And there's lots of data from existing school leaders that say the job is unattractive. Employers point to uh, many positions being unfilled now and the assumption being that if it's a teaching crisis today, it's going to be exacerbated by a leadership crisis tomorrow. We need this career pathway of expertise that provides a meaningful and additional premium salary for those very best teachers who are capable of impacting student results the most. Uh, That would be an enormous uh, area of focus in those three big buckets, early career, flattening out at salary and expertise career pathway. Yeah, so you, yeah, you mentioned early career and um, uh, leadership roles as well. Okay, I wonder if you could just speak to us a little bit uh, as well, Mark, about primary teachers, um, men in the classroom and Aboriginal mm-hmm. and Torres Strait Islander teachers, which I think were all uh, critical cohorts that emerged from the latest uh, national teaching data. Yes, look, uh, really good points there. There's no doubt that um, from a diversity point of view, and we we put out a research report on this, that the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander population is not reflected well in our education system. And the most powerful piece from that is that if you're an Aboriginal student, you want to see role models about what's possible in life, and uh, that's really hard for them to see. And equally, we're not benefiting from the cultural expertise of our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander population inside school promotion positions and teaching positions. So it's an area for um, uh, massive attention, uh, I think. And if we achieved that type of diversity and looked at uh, the expertise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders could bring to education, we'd make an enormous step forward in closing the gap targets that we try to do so uh, much work on, on an annual basis. 
Thanks, Mark. Georgina Hunter, um, a few text messages in have come from teachers who've left the profession because of sort of disciplinary issues that they, they faced in the classroom and they just felt that there was a, a more hostile environment that they could survive in. And a, a number of others have also focused on class sizes. How important is uh, staff to student ratio in terms of, um, you know, teachers' wellbeing and job satisfaction? The research literature on class sizes is really interesting. Mm. It's it's quite a mixed literature. So, you know, what we see is that you actually have to bring class sizes down quite a lot before you see a change in teaching practice and an impact on student learning. So we do, I think, need to be a little bit careful uh, when we think about how we spend those limited resources we have in schooling. If we're going to invest it on just bringing those class sizes down one or two students, or if instead we're going to spend that money on, you know, supporting teacher training and coaching in the classroom. So those issues around behaviour management, they are a significant concern for a lot of teachers. We do hear that. Uh, I think some of the strategies that can work quite well there is having uh, making sure that teachers have got uh, access to classroom coaches that can come in and help them uh, with uh, some of their behaviour management approaches in the classroom and also just making sure there's a whole school approach. So students know that expectations around behaviour will be fairly consistent from classroom to classroom within a school and that they know their teachers are, are well trained to kind of manage those engagement issues, particularly in middle school and upper secondary where some of the those behaviour challenges can be a little bit more you know, significant. Uh, it is something we need to take seriously because obviously if teachers are feeling like they're not able to manage engagement in the classroom, then really they're going to struggle to deliver effective teaching. Mm. Parsi Stalberg, how do you strike the balance between uh, access to the sorts of resources that Jordana's just talked about, teacher coaches and helping to deal with disciplinary issues like that, but without getting that sense that we've also heard about of teachers feeling overmanaged? Yeah, I, I don't, you know, I don't have a solution to, to, to this issue. I just uh, agree with the, what the colleagues have been have been saying about the, um, uh, the the situation. I think, you know, when we talk about the class size and, and the, the student outcomes, I think what the COVID has uh, brought uh, very clearly to schools in Australia and, and here in Europe as well is the the, the importance of student well-being as, as well. And mm. well-being and health outcomes are becoming equally important than the academic outcomes. And, and the studies that Jordana was talking about are almost entirely about how the class size affects the, the academic uh, outcomes. And every teacher knows that the, the, the smaller the class, uh, the less kids you have in, in a classroom, the easier it is to uh, focus on the, the health and well-being outcomes. So I think that that's, uh, that's a very important aspect here as well. Uh, Mark Grant, any other thoughts on the impact of COVID and how it might have changed the, the, this discussion? I, I think um, I, my uh, prediction based on commentary with national um, presidents of principals associations and other um, forums, we're, we're probably um, yet to see the worst of the data. Uh, there's no doubt uh, ministers referred to the cumulative effect of the last two years of COVID in um, the burnout and, uh, and other comments that teachers were making uh, at the forum on Friday. And I suspect what we'll see or will have seen is a greater toll on the teaching population, perhaps people who've brought forward um, retirement uh, decisions or in a tight labour market made other decisions and the short-term problem we've got um, will not be addressed. 
Well, it's been a fascinating discussion and thanks also uh, to all those who've texted in. We might read a couple more of those those texts, but uh, the time is getting away from us. The bell's about to ring, so uh, we'll have to leave it there. Mark Grant, thank you very much for being part of the roundtable today. Yeah, good to be with you. Thank you. That's great. Mark is the Chief Executive of the Australian Institute for Teaching and School Leadership. Thanks also to you, uh, Jordana Hunter, for being part of the conversation. Thanks so much. And we'll look forward to the next uh, always engaging instalment of the Grattan Institute's research. Jordana is the Education Program Director at the Grattan Institute, who's published a lot of uh, interesting reports on the Australian education system and international comparisons. And a special thanks to you, Parsi Stahlberg, for burning the midnight oil to be part of this roundtable uh, discussion today, uh, coming to us from Croatia. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Julian. I go back to bed now. <laughs> Good on you. Well earned. Uh, Pazi Stahlberg is Professor of Education at Southern Cross University, but also a former Director General of the Ministry of Education in Finland. And that's all we have time for on our roundtable, on the roundtable on the teacher shortage. Thanks very much for listening. I'm Julian Moore. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.